Alrighty, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. I want to say up front, I'm thankful that Pastor Tyler allows me to preach today. And I hope to be a help to you as we talk about the third growth step, which you can see on the walls is the step of connecting uh, to other believers and to our church. We'll be in Hebrews 10 and some other verses. How many of you are familiar with a guy by the name of Greg Glassman? Anyone heard of Greg Glassman, well, you might be more familiar with him than you think by the end of this introduction. Greg Glassman was a gymnast. He's a competitive gymnast, and like any competitive athlete, Greg Glassman wanted to be the top of his game. When he got onto the mat, he wanted to be the most physically in shape person out there in the competitions that he was in. And so while most gymnast workout routines at the time use simple body weight exercises, Greg began to do something a little different. He had a, a broad sports background, so he began to use exercises from multiple disciplines. He would use a Olympic weightlifting exercises or barbells, medicine balls, high-intensity interval training. And here's what Greg Glassman found. He found that within a short period of time, he was a lot stronger than the people he competed with. And some of his fellow gymnasts took notice, and they wanted to know what the secret sauce was. And so Greg Glassman had some people coming up to him individually and asking if he would train them. And the demand grew so much that Greg Glassman figured out real quick that he doesn't have enough time in the day to have one-on-one -on -one training sessions with everyone that came to him and was willing to pay good money for him to train him. And so he figured, well, if I have all these people who want me to train them. I might as well start doing some group classes. And here's what he found. People were willing to set, pay the same amount of money to work out with other people. Because here's what, the, what he found. People actually enjoyed working out together more. They didn't like working out one-on-one -on -one as much as they liked the group. And then when they worked out together and they enjoyed their time at the gym more, it contributed to their longevity help them reach their fitness goals. And Greg Glassman kind of liked that because it meant more money in his pocket as a group trainer. And that's how CrossFit was born. How many of you have heard of CrossFit? If you haven't heard of CrossFit, my soul, you need to get out of a box. <laughs> in liberal Kansas, we have two or three CrossFit gyms. That's how common and popular CrossFit is. It's everywhere in the United States. It's a social phenomenon. In fact, they say in, 19, in 2019, there were 15,000 CrossFit gyms across the country and also in over 150 countries. Now, when you walk into a normal gym, it's different than a CrossFit gym, right? If you've ever been to a normal gym, there's a lot of equipment, oftentimes divided into different rooms. You walk into a gym, everyone's got their headphones in, right? Like you could literally be running on a treadmill next to someone for an hour and not even know they exist. But when you walk into a CrossFit gym, it's totally different. They call it a box, their CrossFit gyms. Why? Because it's a big, basically empty rectangle. And while at the gym, a normal traditional gym, you do your own workout in a CrossFit box, it's just one big room. The most elite and the, the least experienced do the same workout together. They all share the same coach and receive instruction from him as a group. And they all share as a community in the success and the thrill of finishing another workout 
God knows at 5 a.m. why people go to a CrossFit gym, but they all celebrate together when they finish that achievement. I, as I was studying for this message, I, ran, uh, I read a couple health journals speaking about the health benefits of CrossFit and some of the unique things that people have received. I don't know about you, but most of the people I know who've had a significant weight loss journey, a lot of them it involved getting involved in a CrossFit gym. So there's got to be some secret of success to that formula. And a lot of the health journals I was reading said that, yes, there's a lot of the physical things that they do in their actual programming that contribute to their success. But a lot of health people and psychologists would argue that the reason why people succeed in CrossFit on their fitness journey is this principle, that connection and community leads to transformation. They noted that while there was a lot of intentionality in the programming of CrossFit, what made people stick with it longer and receive the health benefits was just the simple fact that they worked out together and experienced community. Here's what happens when you connect in a community. It's it's often a secret of success to growing and transforming in an area of your life. Well, CrossFit's not the only organization that figured this out. If you're familiar with a guy named Dave Ramsey, he's a guy who yells a lot about debt, if you don't know him. (laughs) Dave Ramsey has a a formula, a plan for finding financial transformation and success and getting out of debt. But even Financial Peace University seeks to help people find a community of people that are looking to be debt-free and more successful in their finances. Wounded Warriors, if you're familiar with them, their strategy is to partner with veterans to find good um, doctors and mental counselors that can work them through their problems. But the other part of their strategy is connecting people in community. And then you've probably heard of AA or NA. And you could say what you want about those organizations. There's not a lot. There's some things I disagree with them about in their philosophy. But you can't argue that there have been a lot of addicts who found freedom from addiction because they found community in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Why? Because connection and community leads to transformation. But guess what? Greg Glassman didn't invent that idea. Bob Wilson, who founded AA, didn't invent that idea. Those who founded Wounded Warriors didn't invent that idea. God invented that idea. Because just like we all probably are on some journey of financial transformation or physical transformation or trying to better ourselves, I hope that everyone in this room finds themselves on a spiritual journey of transformation. The Bible says that as long as we live, God is always at work in a process making you more and more like Jesus Christ. And so if we all want to reach that destination, here's what I want to talk to you about for a few moments this morning is that we all desperately need connection. Because even in a spiritual sense, connection and community leads to transformation. What I want to talk about first is why we need to connect. I want to show you from the Bible, because this isn't something Mike Collins came up with, Tyler Prater came up with, anyone else that we've read after came up with. This is clearly rooted in the scriptures, why you should connect with other believers. And then I want to talk about the last half of the message, how you can do that. I want to give you some practical steps on how you can connect with other believers. Here's the first part. Why should you connect with other believers? Here's the first thing, if you're taking notes. You should connect with other believers because the early church modeled regular connection. I want you to read the verse 
verses on the screens with me. Here's what Acts 2.46 says. It says, and they continuing, what's the next word? Daily. Daily. With one accord in the temple. Now pay attention to that next word. And breaking bread from house to house. It says they were in the temple, they worshiped together, and they spent time in each other's houses. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Hey, Fifth Sunday fellowships were in the Bible. They broke bread together. But they didn't just do it on Sunday. They did it every day is what the author of Acts says. Look at it, Acts 5.46. And what's the word there? Daily. In the temple and, and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So here's what Acts 5.42 is saying. Yes, they assembled once a week on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to preach and teach Jesus Christ, to see people saved. But here's what it also says, that they went from house to house. They broke bread and they taught and preached Jesus Christ. They had coffee. I can't can't prove that. But if I was in the first century, I would have had coffee. And they taught and preached Jesus Christ. They had a kid's play date. But while the kids were playing, and while mom was semi-distracted, they taught and preached Jesus Christ. Every single day is what the book of Acts says. The early church modeled regular connection. But here's what I want you to understand as well, that the commands of the New Testament require connection. Now, I want to go through like five or six of these, because I think it's important for you to just think in your mind as we're reading through these, that for basically all of them, that it would be virtually impossible to obey this command from God if all you do, if your only relationship to the church is just coming to a service. Okay? Here's the first one. Uh, The Bible tells us to restore other believers fallen in sin. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Look at Galatians 6.2. It tells us to bear the burdens of other Christians. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 encourages us to comfort grieving believers with the hope of the resurrection. Paul says this, comfort one another with these words. He's not talking to a preacher, friend. He's talking to individuals in the church. And he says, as you meet together, if someone is grieving, hey, it's your job to comfort them with the hope of the resurrection. Look at the next verse. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Here's what it says. Pastor Tyler preached on this several months ago. It's a great message. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. He, He says this. I want you to exhort those who are out of line, comfort those who are discouraged, and support those who are spiritually weak. He says this. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. Look at Hebrews 3.13. The Bible tells us to spiritually exhort one another daily. He says this, but exhort one another, what's the next word? Daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Did you notice a theme there? That the early church, who would be our model of how we should do ministry in a lot of ways, they spent more time together than worship. Did you catch that? They didn't just hang out when they went to the temple. They hung out daily. But, but here's the thing that I want you to notice, that they didn't just yuck it up together. 
They didn't just have their Baptist potlucks together. But the Bible is pretty clear that as they fellowshiped, as they spent time with one another, that there was some depth to their gathering. That it wasn't just, hey, we hang out and we eat some food together. Hey, do you like taco bars? Yeah, I love taco bars too. Hey, did you, are you, who you want to win the Super Bowl? Do you want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl or who else is, who cares, right? <laughs> right? That wasn't the, the content of their fellowship that as they broke bread together, as they taught and preached Jesus Christ together, there was something deeper about their fellowship and that something deeper is that they mutually edified each other in Jesus Christ. That as they spent time together, as they worshiped together, as they broke bread together, conversations would happen where they would mutually edify each other. Because how many of you understand that the early church had a rough go at Christianity? Their lives were threatened. Their families abandoned them. They were disassociated from society. And so the only congregation and community that they had access to that actually cared about them was their church. And that's why they called each other brother and sister. It wasn't just a theological term. It's more like my brother doesn't care about me anymore. He probably wishes I was dead. And so you're my brother now. Because I have more in common with you than I may even have with my own brother. So if we're looking at what the Bible says about connection, if we're looking at what the Bible says about community, how could we sum that up? I want to give you a statement. I want you to write it down or put it in your mind, put it in your phone. Here's what the Bible, I I think the biblical definition of connection is. Here, Here it is. Connection, biblical connection is fellowship that produces fellowship. Biblical connection is fellowship that produces fellowship. Say that with me. It's fellowship that produces fellowship. Now, in case you're checking, fellowship isn't a word. I kind of made it up. But what I notice in, in the book of Acts and in the, the epistles is that as they spent time together, here was their goal of their fellowship. They wanted to help each other find and follow Jesus. And so if a believer was stricken with grief and they were threatened with moving away from the church because their heart hurts so bad, another brother or sister in Christ came along and said, hey, let me comfort you. Let me pull you up. Let me bear your burdens because I know that if I do that, I can help you become a better follower of Jesus Christ. Their fellowship produced fellowship. So why should you connect with other believers? Well, you should connect with other believers because the early church modeled it. Because if you're going to obey the commands of the New Testament to the church, you have to live out a lifestyle of biblical connection. But here's the third reason why you should connect with other believers. And it's this, you need connection. You need connection. If you want to grow in your spiritual life, listen, friend, you will forever be limited in your ability to grow if you do not biblically connect with other believers. You need connection. You need to connect because you need help bearing your burdens. I've heard many of our church people say this, going through hard times in their life. I've said this myself. I have no idea how people make it through difficulties in life without Jesus Christ and without the church. You know why? Because when you're in a church community and you connect where you have fellowship that produces fellowship, the church just has a way of lifting you up. 
in bearing you through that time. And then Jesus Christ comes in with his sufficient grace that reaches deeper into your soul than anything a brother or sister in Christ can do. You need to connect because you need help bearing your burdens. You need to connect because you need spiritual advice sometimes. Somebody say amen. We need spiritual guidance and advice. And sometimes we listen to the sermons. It's like, yeah, but I, I, there's like this gray area of life I'm dealing with. I don't exactly know what to do. And so you need community because you need spiritual advice. I would say this is true. You need someone to push you along to help keep you going. I remember Shelby and I, we, we uh, trained to run a 15K. Believe it or not, Mike Collins has ran nine miles in a single occasion twice in his life. And I've ridden 100 miles on a bike twice in my life too, so take that. <laughs> when Shelby and I trained, we were college students. And, uh, you know, there's, there's few things in life you don't want to do any more than this. Run three, four, five miles after you've gone to a full day of school, gone to a full day of work, and you haven't eaten dinner yet. But what I found is when we trained together, here's what happened. There would be days where I'd get home from work, and for whatever weird reason, I'd be like, yeah, let's go run. And then there'd be other days I'd get home from work and be like, yeah, let's eat some chips and salsa. <laughs> but Shelby would come home from work that day, and she'd be like, let's go run. And so what, what I found is that we would balance each other out, that we would push each other when the other one needed to be pushed. And when you connect in a community, here's what you'll find, that there will be days when you want to slow jog your spiritual life. But when you connect with other believers, here's what you'll find. They'll be ready to run when you want to jog. But there will be a day when you want to run, but they want to jog. And so we provoke one another. We push one another to do better in our Christian life. But here's what I believe. That if, if fellowship that produces fellowship is something you and I need, if it's something God created, church, I'd bet all the money I have in the bank that Satan will do everything he can to stop it. Would you agree with that? That if God is at work trying to produce connection among believers, Satan and your flesh are just as much at work trying to disrupt connection of the church. That, that is so true. And, and we look in the New Testament and Satan was at work disrupting the connection of the church. He, he tried to disrupt connection by bringing division. Oh, you, you read almost half the epistles and here's what, what you'll find is Paul's dis. Paul's trying to address another doctrinal disagreement among the church. You'll find the book of Corinthians that he's addressing division around leadership. Well, this is my favorite preacher, and this is my favorite preacher. Hey, hey, sometimes you might find 50 years ago in a church it was Satan's at work disrupting community by just people arguing over the color of the carpet. Hey, Satan doesn't care how he does it. He just wants people to not be connected to each other. Hey, sometimes Satan was at work in the New Testament disrupting the connection of the church through persecution. Actually, the two verses we'll look at today in the book of Hebrews, that's exactly what they were facing. Satan was disrupting the connection of the church by scattering them abroad. But by legal officials saying, well, you can't gather together. By family saying, you better not hang out with them again. Hey, hey can, I, can I just remind you today, church, that Satan may not be doing those same two things to disrupt connection in churches today, but I can guarantee you, Satan and your flesh in this message even will be at work trying to break you up from connecting with other believers. But he's found some new ways 
of disrupting connection. I wrote a couple down. Here's the first one. I call it DIY Christianity. Man, I don't know how about you, but I, I'll invite someone to church a lot and I'll get some variation of this answer. Well, you know, I would go to church. I worship at home. I read my Bible and it's just God and me. Like, do I need to go to church to go to heaven? To which I say, no, you don't. But, but can I just speak into that for a little bit? If you've read the test, New Testament for even like two pages, you would find out how false that mentality is. That it's true, you don't need church to go to heaven. But didn't we just talk about that if you really want to be spiritually transformed and grow, you need connection in biblical community. There's other ways God does it. He does it through selfishness. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. God does it through busyness. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, you're going to try and get me to go to connection group at 945. I'm just too busy. Could it be this morning that if you're too busy to connect with other believers, you might just be too busy? What about, oh, I'll say it again. Yeah. <laughs> Could it be that if you're too busy to connect with other believers, whether it be in a connection group or doing life outside of church, which we'll talk about, could it be that you're just a little bit too busy? Satan's at work justifying our lack of connection based on our personality. Well, I'm too shy. What's the way Sam said it? He said, I'm a hermit. <laughs> I like that. That was my favorite part. I'm a hermit. Nope, not for me. Or for some of you, it's not your personality. It's other people's personality. Someone give me a witness. Come on now. Listen, Brother Mike, if you heard that person in my connection group, you would understand. No, 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 listen, I, I think that's, that's your flesh. That's Satan working in your mind. Say, oh, you don't need connection because that person bothers you. I just have a feeling that there were people in the New Testament church that annoyed each other. Could it be that every New Testament epistle talks about loving your brother for that reason? You're not the first person in Christian history to encounter someone that bothers you at church. I'm sorry. We justify it based on pride. And maybe we wouldn't say this, but I think this is at the core of where some of us are at, is if I connect too closely with somebody, they might get to know the real me. And that the image I portray at church might not be the same thing that they see. Hey, we deal with that as a staff. I mean, if you get to know Mike Collins on a personal level, he's not nearly as impressive as maybe he might be up here. Amen. He annoyed, yeah, amen. <laughs> I could have switched it around, but I didn't. But thank you, yeah. I bother people. Don't say amen. I'm hurtful. You know why? Because I'm a human. Trying to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we don't want to connect with other people because they're like, oh, they might know the real me. I might say something wrong. Hey, that's your flesh. That's Satan trying to disrupt community. But here's what I want to talk about. Because if the Bible says we ought to connect, hey, all of us should have a passion in our hearts right now saying, I want to connect. I want to do that because the Bible teaches it. Because that's something I need. And so here's what I want to talk about for a few minutes. I want to share with you just four practical steps how you can connect with other believers in the church. Can you write these down together this morning? I want to give you just four practical steps on how you can connect with other believers in the church. And I want to promise you that as I speak into these, your flesh, Satan, call it whoever you want, they will be at work trying to give you every excuse in the book to say you don't need it. 
But could you just remind yourself to go back to the New Testament that we just studied? That you need connection. Here's the first one. If you're going to connect with other believers, you need to change your mindset. Change your mindset. This is in our text in Hebrews chapter number 10, but it's on the screen as well. He says, let us consider one another. And then he says, provoke unto love and good works. Now, if you look at the context of Hebrews 12, it's actually like an if-then proposition. So the, the author says, if this is true, then you should do this, this, and this. He gives three commands. And those, the, the, the if statement, he says, is if you have a direct relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful we have a direct relationship with God? You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to get, go to some guy who calls, you, calls himself father. You just need to go to Jesus Christ, and he's your connection to God. And the author of Hebrews says this, if you have that direct relationship with God, you should do these three things. And the first one he says is draw nigh to Christ. I'm like, okay, I'm reading. That makes sense. You know, if God saved me, I should probably care about connecting with him. The second one is, be faithful to Christ. And then the third one, you know, I would expect go to church. I would expect, you know, get baptized. But the third command is this one. Let us consider one another. You know, the word consider literally means to cast your eyes upon someone. And I thought about when I was reading this text that how often when we come into church it may not physically be this way because it'd be kind of weird if you just looked at yourself. But it may be that when we come to church, it's like our eyes are on ourselves. That we can be a little selfish. And you may say, well, I'm not selfish because I don't think the world revolves around me. But, but so, that's only one manis- manifestation of selfishness. The second way that selfishness manifests itself is an attitude that you think nobody else needs you. You're just thinking about yourself. Well, I don't need this, so therefore I don't need to do that. No, no, no. The church needs you. I'm going to say that again. The church needs you. I told this to our first steps, every single person I did first steps with. I think about the message last week, how God sometimes places us in a body, right? Divinely leads us to a church. And if you would say, God led me to be a part of Fellowship Baptist Church, here are two things that are true. You need Fellowship Baptist Church. I said, you need Fellowship Baptist Church. But if God led you here, here's the second thing that's true. Fellowship Baptist Church needs you. No, 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 I I meant that. You say, well, I've I've been saved for three months or three weeks or three days. No, 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 Fellowship Baptist Church needs you. It doesn't matter how biblically mature or immature you are. Fellowship Baptist Church needs you. You need Fellowship Baptist Church. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know or if you couldn't even find the book of Hebrews in your Bible this morning. Fellowship Baptist Church needs you. Hey, if you're a new believer, I'm thinking of Fabiola. I'm thinking of Trey Black. I'm thinking of Sarah Tedford. I'm thinking of J.B. Olson. I'm thinking of Fabiola. I'm thinking of all these people who've been saved in the last six months who've been saved and are new baby Christians. Listen, our church needs you. You know why our church needs you? Because you give an intangible sense of life. Fellowship Baptist Church. It's benefited me to walk through life with new believers. You've been in church for 40 years. Fellowship Baptist Church needs you. Could it be that the reason you don't biblically connect with other believers is because you have a flawed mindset that they don't need you? The author of Hebrews says you should consider one another. 
Not consider yourself. Think about others and the fact that they might need you. Sometimes the greatest obstacle to our connection is a flawed mindset. But here's the second one. If you want to connect, this is real practical, join a connection group. Join a connection group. I want to invite all of our connection group leaders, college age and above, to come up to the platform. If your wife is here, bring her up. Come on now, don't be shy. Don't be shy. I want to talk about this. Look at uh, Hebrews 10.25. So he says, consider one another, provoke them to love and good works. But then 25, verse 25 says the how. How do you do this? And I want you to pay attention to the verse on the screen. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I heard preachers quote that like, hey, you better be in church to listen to me preach, so therefore don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But that's actually not the idea of the verse. These are people whose lives were at risk. Pay attention. Their lives were at risk if they assembled together. And the author of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And he doesn't say that because they need the preaching, though we need the preaching. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because you can't provoke people if you're not present. You can't encourage other believers if you're absent. If you're going to live out a biblical calling to consider one another, to provoke them unto love and good works, you have to assemble together. But here's the problem in a church our size. You come in and assemble in a service. Um, you get very acquainted with other people, but just this part of them. The back of their head. Some of us have a shinier back of the head. Some of us have a more matte version. You don't connect, do you? And then I know this is true for newer folks in our church. It seems like our church is just like a bunch of busy bees serving and connecting and fellowshipping together. And you, you just kind of stay on the outside like, oh, I feel like this observer rather than a connector. And so the reason we have connection groups is because we, we break down our church into smaller groups. Because it gives you the best possible chance to connect with other Christians who are walking through life in the same stage of life as you. And, and so just briefly this morning, I want to introduce you to all of our connection groups. And I want you to keep a pen and paper handy so you can write down. I, I want you to I encourage you to maybe highlight one or two connection groups that might fit you. And then I'm going to challenge you to try them out. Here's the first one. Uh, for our college-age folks, we have the Quest College Group. There they are. Yeah. And that's led by Sid and Miranda Prater. Those are college-age students, and they have a connection group that meets every Sunday morning at 945. Then we have the Purpose Life class, which is one that's very dear to my heart. That's led by Brady and Markayla Steckel. These are career-age singles. Most of them would be out of the college range and would be in their mid-20s through 30s. And uh, that's an amazing class. If you want to see an exciting group, go to the Purpose Life class on Sunday mornings. Man, alive. 19, 20 people connecting together, career-age people who found community at Fellowship Baptist Church. But I, I'll, oh wait, I'll save the favorite one for a minute. The Real Ladies class is led by Miss Candy Prater. Shine the spotlight. I asked her, how would you define the demographic? And she basically said, I don't know. It's a, a, a lot of different ladies who are single ladies. Some of them come, they, they're married, but they're, maybe their husband doesn't come. And so they'll come to Candy's class and the real ladies class. There's ladies who uh, have never been married, ladies who uh, are divorced. It's a whole 
range of people. And so if that maybe would identify you, I would encourage you to write down that class and try, or that connection group and try that one out. My favorite, the Rooted, the Rooted Connection Group, which is led by me, yeah, by Shelby. <laughs> by Mike and Shelby Collins. Uh, that would be married couples in their 20s and early 30s. The Synergy class, who doesn't want to be in the pastor's class? Come on, maybe, maybe that's the last class you want to be in, I don't know. <laughs> couples in their 30s and 40s. Uh, then we have the Journey class. Uh, Mike and Elizabeth Dominguez, that would be the couples in their mid-40s and 50s. The Harvesters class. Uh, where's Rick? Here, you're over here. Um, that's led by Rick Prater. Um, this, is a, this is what we call a power couple. I mean, they're, they're so, the gifted, they're leading two different classes together in a lot of ways. And Rick leads our harvesters class, which is 50s and early 60s. Uh, then we have the ambassadors class led by Bill and Deanne Mills. That would be folks in their late 60s and 70s. And then we have the best years, we call it the best years club. Uh, that's adults in their 70s, late 70s and up, led by Doug and Crystal Knusen. Do you appreciate our connection group leaders? Give them a hand. Thank you, guys. I want, I want to say this, that those age divisions, they're not like hardcore. It's not like you show up to the journey class like, oh, you're 60, get out of here. <laughs> I want to challenge you to, to commit today to attend a connection group for four weeks. Four weeks. And for some of you, it's like, well, I don't know, am I synergy or journey? Try both of them out. Try both of them out. Here's the purpose. Can you guess what the purpose of a connection group is? Connection, yeah. Yeah, so, so here's what I tell people all the time, because there are people who probably could have attended the Purpose Life class, but they went to Candy's class, the real ladies. Here's what I say. Wherever you best connect, which connection group should I attend? Well, whatever one you best connect. Now, if you're a guy attending the real ladies class, that might be, <laughs> it's not that type of connection. Join a connection group. And in our connection groups, what we're doing right now, we've, man, Pastor Tyler and I were just talking before the service. We love this. We, we actually take this Sunday morning message and we kind of dive a little bit deeper into it with some discussion. And the reason we do that is to better connect you with other people. And I told our connection group leaders this. It's like in school you had a lecture and lab combo in college. I feel like that's kind of what our connection groups are. You get the lecture Stand and teach. But then there's kind of this lab format where we all kind of dissect the message together and we're processing the message together. I mean, what better thing could there be for your Christian life than making sure you really soaked in the preaching of God's word in just a little bit more of a deeper way? I want to challenge you to, to visit a connection group for four Sundays. Here's the next one. Fellowship outside of church. Fellowship outside church. Look at Hebrews 3.13. Uh, the author of Hebrews commanded the Christians there, but exhort one another. What's the next word, church? Daily. Hey, they didn't have Snapchat. They didn't have Facebook Messenger. The only way they could have exhorted one another daily is doing life together outside church. For some of you, this is your step. No, no, no. Listen, for some of you, this is your step. You come to Connection Group. You're plugged in. You're probably one of our faithful church members who's been here for a long time. I want to challenge you to do life with believers outside of church. We are a church community. 
We're a body of believers. The early church assembled daily. There was a regular connection outside of the worship time. And listen, isn't there something about when you get to spend time with someone outside of church, isn't there just a barrier that's just kind of removed when that happens? An authenticity that's there. A, a closeness that's there in a way that you can't really manufacture in church. Why? Because we all come in, we got our Sunday best on, you know, we've got ministries we're running around to. But there's just something about connecting with other people outside of church. And listen, I don't want you to just to, to spend time outside of church, but, but we'll talk about it in a second. I want that fellowship to lead to fellowship. But it just starts with just doing life together outside of church. So let me challenge some of you, our, our church people who come to connection groups. Take the next step in your connection journey and do life together outside of church. For some of you, that means going on a double date. Some of you, you haven't gone on a single date in a long time. <laughs> Maybe going on a double one will get the, the ball rolling. Maybe it means having a kid's play date at the park or the library when it opens on February 1st. Praise God. Maybe it's inviting someone out to eat after church today. Maybe it's having someone over to your house for dinner because there's a level of connection and relational uh, things that are removed when you're in someone's home. Practicing hospitality. For some of you, it's doing a Bible study together. Or for the less spiritual ones, it's going to see a movie together, right? If you're hang hey, let me encourage you. If you're already hanging out with people from our church, invite someone else along. You got your, your, your senior saints group that goes to McDonald's every Friday morning. Invite someone else along. Bring someone else along for the journey because someone else in this church needs connection. But here's the last one we'll be done. I want to challenge you to let your fellowship produce fellowship. Let your fellowship produce fellowship. What do we see about the early church? That their time together eventually and always produced better followers of Jesus. The, the command in Hebrews 10 isn't just, hey, hang out together. The command is that, that when we, we're connected with other believers, we should provoke them to love and good works. The word provoke, it's, it's the same word you would use when you take one of them little fire pokey thingies. What are those called? I don't know. Stoker. Stoker. Well, maybe. I don't know. But you poke it. That, it. Provoke. And how many of you understand to get a fire going, you've got to provoke it. And here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, as believers, just as much as you have a duty to stay faithful to Christ, you have a duty from God to provoke others to love and good works. Hey, that doesn't mean you're a bunch of busy bodies. It just means that as you connect with people and you care about them, that when they're going through trials, sometimes the way you provoke them is you just comfort them with the hope of the resurrection. Sometimes it's, it's you take a meal to them and you let them know you care so that they don't think that their church family doesn't care about them. Sometimes it means that when, when you don't see them in connection group for three, four, or five weeks, you shoot them a friendly text and say, hey man, we've missed you. Why? You're, let your fellowship produce fellowship. Let your fellowship produce fellowship. You know what? I asked myself a while ago, as I was studying this a couple months ago, when was the last time I had a spiritual conversation with those I'm closest to? And I thought about that. And I spend time with church people and we talk about football and we talk about kids and we talk about a lot of things. 
And you know what I realized? I spent time with dozens of people in church, and I couldn't think of a time when I had them over my house and we prayed together. I don't know about you, that's kind of weird. I don't know about you, but I felt almost awkward talking about God outside of church for some reason. I mean, I teach first steps. Am I the only one who's felt that? That church, sometimes we can get in a rut of, of we just hang out, but we never really mutually edify each other in Christ. So for some of you, you do life together with people. You're spending time with people. But here's my exhortation to you. Let your fellowship produce fellowship. Let your fellowship produce fellowship. And invest in people spiritually. Reach out and text them, hey, how can I pray for you this week? And actually pray for them. If you see someone missing, don't, don't make your connection group leader or your pastor be the only person who notices when people are gone. Just be friendly. Hey, I missed you. Mutually edify each other in faith because our calling isn't just to spend time together. No, no, no. Biblical connection is when your fellowship produces fellowship. I'll tell you what. I've been benefited by people who provoked me. When a boss, the same one who said, sometimes I can be annoying, <laughs> provoked me to do better. When, uh, when I was training for those races, you know, I trained with Mike Puthers. How many of you understand Mike Puthers is an exercise animal? <laughs> he's superhuman, I think. So he's like, can we, let's go ride at six. You want to ride so early. And how many of you know that I don't want to get up and ride my bike at six every day? But you know what Mike did? Sometimes he provoked me. And I'm a, I'm a better athlete if you want to call me that, because <laughs> I've been provoked. I'm a better employee because I've been provoked. My feeling is, is that you'd be a better Christian if you open yourself up to let other people provoke you to love and good works. And don't underestimate, listen, don't underestimate that maybe God wants you to provoke, to stoke the fire, because that's what biblical connection is. So what's your one? What's your one step? Change your mindset. Join a connection group. Try it out for four weeks. Fellowship outside of church or let your fellowship produce fellowship. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, I'm so